Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Curious Dragon podcast. We continue with the Fae. In part one, we learned that the Fae are basically good and bad. Loves to prank travellers also. So let's see in this final part, who are the Fae? Changelings. There is a considerable amount of lore about fairies that revolves around changelings, especially fairies that were left in the place of stolen humans. In particular, folklore describes how to prevent the fairies from stealing babies and then substituting changelings and also abducting older people as well. The theme of the swapped child is common in medieval literature and this reflects concerns over infants that are thought to be afflicted with any unexplained diseases, disorders or even developmental disabilities. So, in a pre-industrial Europe, a peasant family's subsistence frequently depended upon the productive labour of each member and so a person who was a permanent drain on the family's scarce resources could pose a threat to the survival of the entire family. Protective Charms In terms of protective charms, the wearing of clothing inside out Church bells, St. John's Wort, and not forgetting four-leaf clovers, these are regarded as effective. Over in Canada, in Newfoundland, folklore, the most popular type of fairy protection is bread, varying from stale bread to hard tack, or a slice of fresh homemade bread. Bread is associated with the home and the hearth, as well as with industry and the taming of nature, and as such seems to be disliked by some types of fairies. On the other hand, in much of the Celtic folklore, baked goods are a traditional offering to the folk, uh, as are cream and butter. It is said... The prototype of food, and therefore a symbol of life, bread was one of the commonest protections against fairies. Before going out into a fairy-haunted place, it was customary to put a piece of dry bread in one's pocket. In County Wexford, Ireland, in 1882, it was reported that If an infant is carried out after dark, a piece of bread is wrapped in its bib or dress, and this protects it from any witchcraft or evil. Bells also have an ambiguous role, so while they can protect against fairies, the fairies riding on horseback, such as the fairy queen, will often have bells on their harness. This may be a distinguishing trait between the Seelie court 
from the unseely court in such that fairies use them to protect themselves from the more wicked members of their race. Another ambiguous piece of folklore revolves around poultry. A cock's crow drove away fairies, but other tales recount fairies keeping poultry. While many fairies will confuse travellers on the path, the will of the wisp can be avoided by not following it. There are certain locations known to be haunts of fairies that are to be avoided. C.S. Lewis reported hearing of a cottage more feared for its reported fairies than its reported ghost. Also, in particular, digging in fairy hills was unwise to do so. Paths that the fairies travel along are also unwise to follow and best to avoid. Homeowners have knocked corners from their houses because the corner blocked the fairy path and also cottages have been built with the front and back doors in line so that the owners could, in need, leave them both open so to let the fairies troop through all night. Locations such as fairy forts were left undisturbed and even cutting of brush on fairy forts were also reputed to be the death of those who had performed the act. Fairy trees such as the thorn trees were also dangerous to chop down. One such tree was left alone in Scotland, though it prevented a road from being widened for 70 years. Other actions were also believed to offend fairies. Brownies, another name for fairies, were also known to be driven off by being given clothing, though some folk tales recounted that they were offended by the inferior quality of the garments given. Others merely stated, recounting that the brownie was delighted with the gift and then left with it. Other brownies left households or farms because they heard a complaint or a compliment. People who saw the fairies were advised not to look closely, this because they resented infringements on their privacy. The need not to offend them could lead to problems. One farmer found that fairies threshed his corn, but the threshings continued after all his corn was gone, and the farmer concluded that they were stealing from his neighbours, so leaving the farmer the choice between offending them, dangerous in itself, and even profiting by the theft. Millers were thought by the Scots to be no canny, this owing to their ability to control the forces of nature, such as fire in the kiln, water in the burn, and also for being able to set machinery a whirring. Superstitious communities sometimes believe that the miller must be in league with the fairies, 
In Scotland, fairies were often mischievous and also to be feared. No one dared to set foot in the mill or the kiln at night, as it was known that the fairies brought their corn to be milled after dark. So long as the local people believed this, the miller could now sleep secure in the knowledge that his stores were safe and not being robbed. John Fraser, the miller of White Hill, he claimed to have hidden and also watched the fairies trying unsuccessfully to work the mill. He said that he then decided to come out of hiding and help the fairies, upon which one of the fairy women gave him a galpen, a double handful of meal, telling him to put it in his empty gurnal, a store saying that the store would remain full for a long time, no matter how much he took out. It is also believed that to know the name of a particular fairy, a person could summon it and also force it to do thy bidding. The name could also be used as an insult towards the fairy in question, but it could also rather contradictorily be used to grant powers and gifts to the user. Before the advent of modern medicine, there were many physiological conditions that were untreatable, and when children were born with abnormalities, it was usually common to place the blame on the fairies. Legends Sometimes fairies are described as assuming the guise of an animal. In Scotland it was particular to the fairy women to assume the shape of deer, while witches became mice, hares, cats, gulls or black sheep. In the legend of Noxigoa, in order to frighten a familiar farmer who pastured his herd on fairy ground, so a fairy queen took on the appearance of a great horse with the wings of an eagle and a tail like a dragon hissing loud and spitting fire. Then she would change into a little man, lame of leg with a bull's head, and a lambent frame playing round it. In the 19th century, child ballad Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight. The Elf Knight is a bluebeard figure, and Isabel must trick and kill him to preserve her life. The child ballad Tam Lin reveals that the title character, though living among the fairies, and also having fairy powers, was in fact an earthly knight, and though his life was pleasant now, he feared that the fairies would pay him as their tithe to hell. Sir Orfeo tells how Sir Orfeo's wife was kidnapped by the king of fairy, and only by trickery, and also an excellent harping ability 
was he able to win her back? Sir Degree narrates the tale of a woman overcome by her fairy lover, who in later versions of the story is amassed as a mortal. Thomas the Rhymer shows Thomas escaping with less difficulty, but he spends seven years in Elfland. Oisin is harmed, but not by his story in fairy, but by his return. When he dismounts his horse, the three centuries that have passed catch up with him, reducing him to an aged man. King Hurler was said to have visited a dwarf's underground mansion and would return three centuries later. Although only some of his men crumbled to death on dismounting their horses, King Hurler and the men who stayed on their horses would now be trapped on horseback, this being one account of the origin of the wild hunt of European folklore. A common feature of the fairies is the use of magic to disguise their appearance. Fairy gold is notoriously unreliable, appearing as gold when paid, but soon thereafter revealing itself to be leaves, gorse blossoms, gingerbread cakes or a variety of other comparatively worthless things. These allusions are also implicit in the tales of fairy ointment. The many tales of Northern Europe tell of a mortal woman who is summoned to attend a fairy birth. Invariably, the woman is given something for the child's eyes. This is usually a, an ointment, but through mischance or sometimes out of curiosity, she uses it on one or both of her own eyes. It's at that point she now sees where she is. One midwife realises that she was not attending a great lady in a fine house, but her own runaway maidservant in a wretched cave. She escapes without making her ability known, but sooner or later she betrays that she can see the fairies. She is invariably blinded in her eye or in both eyes, should she have used the ointment on both her eyes. There have been claims by various people in the past, like William Blake, to have seen fairy funerals. Alan Cunningham, in his Lives of eminent British painters, records that William Blake claimed to have seen a fairy funeral. Did you ever see a fairy funeral, madam, said Blake, to a lady who happened to sit next to him? Never, sir, said the lady. I have, said Blake, but not before last night. And he went on to tell how, in his garden, he had seen a procession of creatures of the size and colour of green and grey grasshoppers, bearing a body laid out on a rose-leaf which they buried with songs and then disappeared. They are believed to be an omen of death.
Tuatha de Danan. The Tuatha de Danan are a race of supernaturally gifted people in Irish mythology. They are also thought to represent the main deities of pre-Christian Ireland. Many of the Irish modern tales of the Tuatha de Danann refer to these beings as fairies, though in more ancient times they were regarded as goddesses and gods. The Tuatha de Danann were spoken of as having come from islands in the north of the world or, in other sources, from the sky. After being defeated in a series of battles with other otherworldly beings and then by the ancestors of the current Irish people, they were said to have withdrawn to the Shi, the fairy mounds where they lived on in popular imagination as fairies. They are also associated with several other world realms, including Magmel. The Pleasant Plain, Emen Ablace, the place of apples, and Turnanog, the land of youth. Aossi. The Aossi is the Irish team term for a supernatural race in Ireland and comparable to the fairies or the elves. They are variously said to be ancestors, the spirits of nature, or goddesses and gods. A common theme found among the Celtic nations describes a race of people who had been driven out by invading humans. In old Celtic fairy lore, the AOC are immortals living in the ancient barrows and cairns, the Irish Banshee is sometimes described as a ghost. Scottish Sith In the 1691, the secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fauns and Fairies, the Reverend Robert Kirk, Minister of the Parish of Aberfoyle, Stirling, Scotland, wrote... These Siths or fairies they call Slimaith are, or the good people, are said to be of middle nature between man and angel, as were demons thought to be of old, of intelligent, fluidous spirits and light-changeable bodies, like those called astral, somewhat of the nature of a condensed cloud and best seen in the twilight these bodies be so pliable through the subtlety of spirits that agitate them that they can make them appear or disappear at pleasure in literature the word fairy was used to describe an individual inhabitant of fairy before the time of Chaucer Fairies appeared in medieval romances as one of the beings that a knight-errant might encounter. A fairy lady also appeared to 
Sir Landfall, and demanded his love. Like the fairy bride of ordinary folklore, she imposed a prohibition on him that in time he violated. Sir Orfeo's wife was carried off by the king of fairy. Horn of Bordeaux is aided by King Oberon. These fairy characters would dwindle in number as the medieval era progressed. The figures now became wizards and also enchantresses. The oldest fairies on record in England were the first described by the historian Gervais of Tilbury in the 13th century. In the 1485 book, Le Mort d'Arthur, Morgan Le Fay, whose connection to the realm of fairy is implied in her name, is a woman whose magic powers stem from study. While somewhat diminished by time, fairies never completely vanished from the tradition. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is a 14th century tale, but the Green Knight himself is an otherworldly being. The author Edmund Spencer featured fairies in his 1590 book, The Fairy Queen. In the many works of fiction, fairies are freely mixed with the nymphs and satyrs of classical tradition, while in others they were seen as displacing the classical beings. In the 15th century, poet and monk John Lydgate wrote that King Arthur was crowned in the land of the fairy and taken in his death by four fairy queens to Avalon, where he lies under a fairy hill until he is needed again. Fairies appear as significant characters in William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is set simultaneously in the woodland and in the realm of fairyland. Under the light of the moon and also in which a disturbance of nature caused by a fairy dispute now creates tension underlying the plot and informing the actions of the characters. According to Maurice Hunt, chair of the English department at Baylor University, the blurring of the identities of fantasy and reality makes possible that pleasing narcotic dreamings associated with the fairies of the play. A story of the origin of fairy appears in a chapter about Peter Pan. In J.M. Barrie's 1902 novel, The Little White Bird, which was incorporated into his later works about the character. Barry wrote, When the first baby laughed for the first time, his laugh broke into a million pieces, and they all went skipping about. That was the beginning of fairies. And that ends our two-parter about the fae. Thank you.